You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. All right, all right. How's everybody doing? You do better than that. How's everybody doing? Sweet. Well, uh, so every, I don't know, six weeks or so, uh, one of the things that we love to do is we love to open up the Word of God and in a panel-type environment, a conversation. Um, there's a few reasons why we do this. One, we feel like uh, it's a great way to teach and learn the Word. Another thing is, is that we talk about being a church, that our mission is to love God, love others, and make disciples. Um, and in that, uh, sometimes we can, in the church world, I think, use the term make disciples as uh, a catchphrase, but not actually know what that means, let alone know what that looks like. And so this is an opportunity for us to actually disciple one another in this moment. So as we're having a conversation, um, that it's an open dialogue where uh, we may feed off each other, we may um, ask for clarity on certain things, um, but it's an opportunity for us to really disciple one another in front of you. Um, so this is not only a conversation just at you, but a conversation with you, um, except for you don't get to speak. No, um, okay, so uh, we just get to have fun. We get to have fun and talk about the Word together. Uh, so if you have a Bible, grab it. We want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. Um, there's a great Bible app called the YouVersion Bible app. Really encourage you to download it. It has some really good reading plans on it. We're in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. We've been in this series, The Fear of the Lord. Hey, happy Father's Day. Let's hear it for the fathers in the room. Love it. Hey, Matt really wants everybody to cheer for him as a dad. No? For all, oh, you just, oh, I thought that was a specific shout out for you. <laughs> Um, but uh, one of the things, as we were looking at this passage um, this week, I thought, man, it'd be really fun to have a couple of guys up here who have been dads for uh, a long season, so I wanted to find the oldest men we had that we could find, um, and, uh, and so, uh, um, no, but dads who are seasoned in being dads, who have uh, shared in their hand of failures, um, mess-ups, as well as successes, and so uh, I look up to Tim, we were we went to dinner one time, very, very early on when Tim first came to FMCC, and it was myself and Britt and Ben, and we had, uh, I think you had gotten there first or something, and so we all got there late, because uh, we drove together, and the waitress comes up, and she's like, uh, I already shared with your dad uh, what the menu was, <laughs> and, uh, and so, but uh, he's more of an older, uh, younger uncle. Yeah. Yeah. Younger, old? Y- younger, older un- uncle. Um, kind of an oxymoron, but, uh, right? But man, <laughs> like, just... Being a dad, I just love the stories when we get to speak, Tim, about uh, your kids and what it looks like to be a dad. Um, I love, uh, is, is Kathy here today? Is she able to? She is. Hey, what's up, Kathy? Um, uh, just seeing um, a, a wife's admiration for her husband in his fathering is great, and you do a great job of that, Kathy, um, of celebrating your husband. And um, Russ Johnson. So some of you know Russ, some of you don't know Russ. Russ is the leader of Lark Collective, um, a.k.a. formerly known as the Table Network. And so Russ actually was one of the first people before we even planted FMCC uh, that I started meeting with to talk about what does it look like to plant a church, uh, especially to plant a church in our home, because that's what we were doing. We were just going around sharing the gospel with our neighbors and inviting people into our home. And so Russ was there. Russ leads a global organization um, called Lark Collective. Um, and, uh, and, so, and also, uh, you have a 23-year-old son a 20-year-old daughter, and then a three-year-old. Turn four. Just turned four. Amen. 
Yeah, just turn four. You just turn four in case you guys wanted to laugh. Yeah, so um, I remember the day where uh, you got the surprise, where Krista told you, told you she was pregnant, and um, all the dreams of retiring early in a beach house somewhere. Yeah, we started our family young, and uh, I'm that guy that was, I turned 21, had a one-year-old, a car payment, my wife staying home with our little one, and just bought a house. So we kind of had to grow up quick. Yeah. So we were like, hey, we're going to get ahead of this thing. And we'll be, I don't know, you know, 40. Our two kids will be off of school, and we'll buy a you know, condo and a Corvette or something. <laughs> Instead, I had to buy a fourth-bedroom house, <laughs> and I still drive an old Jeep. <laughs> so. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, man, I'm just really excited to jump into this passage with you guys. So let me read it for us, um, and then we'll just talk about it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your hearts keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Um, and I think, uh, just thinking about Father's Day, um, just two real quick things is that we see so clearly in Scripture, God is our Father. He has adopted us into a relationship. And it's not, I think a lot of times when we talk about Christianity, we talk about the Bible, a lot of people think religion. But it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And a real relationship, we get to have God as our Father. I think for some that can mess with you because their relationship with their earthly father was screwed up or messed up or they were mean or uh, abusive. Um, but God is not a replication of our earthly father but the perfection of our earthly father, what a father should be, um, and he is. He is all those things. Um, so, Tim, uh, would you just press in a little bit on this discipling relationship from the father and the son? Solomon here is kind of starting out with. Yeah, he, he carries that through all the Proverbs. We talked about that last week, that the first seven actually start out with a teaching or instruction from a father to a son. So, what does that father and son relationship look like at the it's a father teaching God's word. Uh, specifically, he says, do not forget my teachings, but let your, let, let your heart keep my commandments. Uh, so here's this instruction of father to son. And the other thing I thought, looking at this, is uh, the multi-generational of it. You, the father's teaching this son, obviously he was taught by his father, and obviously his father was taught by his father. And this is being handed down, and, and later on we'll, we'll see that in a, in a passage in Chronicles of David handing something to Solomon. Uh, there's some other things I thought in this text that are kind of interesting. You, it's, it's broken into two sections. You have a, a do not forget, and then when you don't forget, when you live within my teaching sons, there's, there's a promise there. There's length of days, and there's peace. And then in verse 3 and 4, there's the same thing. There's let not steadfast love and, and faithfulness forsake you. And then there's a so you will find favor, good success inside of God and man. So there's this, there's this teaching of, a, of fathers to sons. Or in our day, because of what you said, Bill, when I didn't have a good godly father, that's where discipleship was huge, right? Mm -hmm. An older believer pouring into a younger believer the, the same teaching. Um, a few other things I thought would be interesting to look at as we unpack this and we talk about it today. 
the word steadfast, what we translate as steadfast love, is a very interesting Jewish word. Uh, it's very hard to translate this Jewish word into English because of all the different meanings it has. And so literally it talks about the love and kindness I would have in a family relationship, that I'd have to my wife, to my kids, or to really close friends. But the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament kind of turned it on its head a lot because it's also used where that relationship's not even in sight. So that same type of love that I would have for Kathy, the Holy Spirit tells us to have that same type of love to somebody you have no relationship with and you don't know them. And, and the example of that is in Joshua where, where Rahab had this loving kindness for the spies of Israel. Mm. She didn't know them. They had nothing in common. But Rahab had that same type of love that I would have for my children she had for somebody she, she didn't even know. And so as we look through this and we begin to unpack it, we need to keep that in our mind. The other thing we need to keep in our mind is how Hebrews looked at the word heart. The heart to Hebrew was where their spiritualness lied. The heart to Hebrew is where their reasoning lied. The heart to Hebrew is where their, uh, their disposition lied. So the heart was the center to the Hebrews. Proverbs mentions my heart 48 times. In the Old Testament, my heart is a center of who man is. It's either wicked or it's good. Proverbs 4 says this is what all of life springs out of. Uh, so as we, as we begin to look at this, we need to really realize the father's telling his son, don't forget my teachings. Place them in your heart, mm. right? And then hold fast a steadfast love, bind it around your neck, put it on the tablet of your heart. And... So as you, as you unpack this, as we discuss it, understanding how the, the audience, Hebrews would hear Solomon's wisdom is really kind of important. But I love that view of, of steadfast love being taken my love that I have for those that are close to me, the love that I have for my brothers here, and turning it on somebody I don't even know hmm. as part of my love. Now, it's great. I love it. And I think um, when we're reading the book of Proverbs, and even other passages of Scripture, it could it, very quickly, I think, I can get into this place where it becomes a do list, right? Mm -hmm. I have to do these things in order for my heart to be good, right? So uh, I don't know if a honey-do list, you know what that is? I had a huge list, but it wasn't a honey-do list. It was like a me-do list. I like put this list together, and I just started knocking it out this weekend. And it's just, you know, it's a checkbox, right? It's, it's 20 things that I've got to go through and do at the house, right? It's paint this, fix this, um, and... We could read Scripture through that lens, but it's actually not the context of Scripture. It's about what He has done for us to make our hearts good. And so, Russ, would you maybe press in a little bit on that, about the finished work of Jesus and how He is the one that brings us from death to life? Yeah, I probably could summarize that in like three minutes. And you guys can smirk about that. <laughs> whatever you need to do. That's a great question. Um, I think probably the easiest way to like pull back and look at it is like look at the passage that we have here in Proverbs verse 4. Got this beautiful picture of like something we all desire. Find favor and good success in the sight of God and, and others. Anybody here interested in that? Just me? <laughs> like four of us maybe? Right? Like having favor with God and with others will be a good and beautiful thing. Amen. So we kind of back up from there and we're like, oh, okay. So 
So we're looking at this. We go back to verse 1. Like, don't forget my teaching. How, how well do you guys do at that? <laughs> I'm pretty good at it, but I know a lot of people who struggle. <laughs> no, like, you know what I mean? We read these passages, and we're like, hey, man, this is so true and so wise. But at the same time, it's like, oh, if, if I held this up as a mirror, I'd be in trouble. So I'm looking at this and going, all right, I don't want to forsake, you know, I don't want to forget his teachings. You know, I want, to, I, want to, I want to let my heart keep his commandments. He goes on and says, let steadfast love and faithfulness, right? Let, don't let it forsake you. Okay, there's another key that we're seeing to this having favor with God and with man. So is this wise? Is it good? Is it beautiful? Is it worthy to go walk in? Yes and amen. Can you do it? If we're honest, I would say no. Which might be why the gospel literally means good news. So when we pull back and like look at the scriptures, we have all of these characters that are involved in the Old Testament. You guys know about some of these people, right? You have guys like Abraham, the, right? That's like this image, this picture, this father of faith, like this beauty and importance of faith. You have Moses who comes with the commandments from God, right? Amen. You have David, this guy with like this, like this heart, you know what I mean, for the Lord. You have Solomon, who's, a, who's this guy that's known for wisdom. And we find within all of them these teachings of what are good and beautiful, things that are worthy to walk in, things that when we do walk in them lead to harmony in our lives and harmony with those around us. I love that. The downside is I'm just not that good at it. And I haven't met anybody else who was. Because if we pull back on the veil, what I love about God's letter to us is it's a letter about what he's like. And I think we forget that. We hear phrases like, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And for some reason, we get this idea of like, no, Jesus is like the starter of my faith. And then maybe like the publisher. Like he kind of gets me started. And then he comes in and he kind of helps like seal the deal in the end. And hopefully it all worked out well. That's not what it says. It says he's the author and what? He's the author and he's the finisher right, of this. And we see that throughout everything that was going on in the past. People who, in one way, held up really good and beautiful things, but failed miserably too, right? We find this story that we call the gospel where God makes all of these things right. He reconciles all that has been done and all that will ever be done through the death and resurrection of his son. And everything that we have here is pointing us first and foremost to what he's like. Because there is no going and walking in what is good until I have found rest in what he's like and what he's done. Because otherwise, Christianity can sound really good, but if we're all really honest, it can be like a weight around your neck. It's just one more form of the do good, be better in the world. It's one more phrase from Nike saying, just do it. <laughs> Christianity is not just do it. Christianity is you and I could never just do it. And so someone else did it in our stead, <laughs> right? And then invites us, literally unites us, the scriptures say, unites us with him. He's united us with him. Jesus literally says, like when Jesus prays in John 17, his prayer is, Father, that you will make them one with me as I am one with you. Think about that. You're, you are so one with Christ through his death and resurrection that you're literally the same as how he is one with the Father. And I feel like it's learning to recline in this reality that we begin to look at these letters and go, wow, first and foremost, here's a picture of what he's like. And then it's within and through that we begin to see where he's at work in us and burying these things in us. It's a story of him at work. It's not a story of me at work. 
And one of the things I tell people when I travel is Jesus didn't come to uh, redeem the redeemable. He didn't come to improve the improvable. Our need wasn't reform, it was resurrection. He came to resurrect the dead, to unite himself with humanity. So what's, what, what I find cool about that is it allows us to look at these characters. Abraham, father of, father of faith, amen. But he's also a guy who lent out his wife to save his own neck. He's also a guy who didn't trust the Lord and slept with his slave servant. Some people would classify that as rape. Just being honest here. Moses is the guy, right, who murdered an Egyptian and got angry and yelled about things when it didn't go his way. David was a man after God's own heart. He's also a man who saw to it that his closest friend met his demise. So he didn't get found out that he had slept with his wife when he was away. Solomon was wise. But he also built a temple that God in 2 Samuel said, I have no desire that you would even do this. He's also a guy, right, who used his wisdom to coerce deals to make things happen. So we look at this and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, and what I'm saying here is like, oh, so the letter that God's given me here is not, here's a picture of perfection, get it together. If you do, then you'll have success with God and man. It's like, no, no, no. Here's a story of what humanity's like, right alongside of a story of what I'm like. And it's all pointing to what it is that I'm going to do to reconcile all of it so that you really can walk in this beauty and this favor. Because left to yourself, you never can. I'm like, man, that's good news. <laughs> that's, right? If you've come to the end of your virtuous rope, that's good news. If you're still hanging on, that's like, ah, they can rake at you. I think, you know, I was, when I was reading some of these words in here, Solomon's actually speaking about specific tangible fruit that we bear, right? So we've got peace, right? So do not forget my teaching, let my heart keep my commandments, uh, the length of days and years of life, and peace they will add to you. Love, right? Let not steadfast love. And then he says faithfulness, where it also could be goodness. Um, bind them around your necks. And then he talks about uh, kindness, joy in these verses. Um, but we're, I think what we can easily forget, I can easily forget, is that all of those things are fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. Right? They're, they're fruit of the Spirit. So when Jesus, after his resurrection, was with his disciples, he said, I'm going to leave you. And they're freaking out. And he said, no, it's actually good for you that I leave you because I'm going to send my helper who is going to um, bear these things in you. And it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Bill. Because if it's the fruit of Bill, then uh, it's worth nothing, right? If it's the fruit of Bill, um, then it's just, I, I mean, I, it's very easy for me to put on fake fruit, right? I can go to World Market and buy some, some wax apples and put them on my tree and tell my neighbors I have an apple tree. But if one of them goes and takes one of those apples and try to eat it, they're going to realize it's fake, Right? That's, and that's what I tend to do. I, tr I try to tend to, I mean, has anybody had that experience with uh, maybe church in the past where there's a bunch of people wearing a mask like they've, they're per perfect, um, yet they are doing a lot of shady things on the outside of the church or yelling at their kids in the car, and then they're like, all right, everybody, you know, fix your ties. Um, and so I think that we tend to try to bear our own fruit and not press into the work of the Spirit 
and really seek the Lord. And, and I think that there's continually over in the book of Proverbs, right? It's hard sometimes when you pull out a few verses that you don't see the full context because right after sure. this, he's going to go trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's the next very line. Uh, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. So Tim, so what maybe... we'll go to what Russ just showed us is God chose Abraham. Abraham was not perfect. God chose Moses. Moses had problems. David, after his own heart, had huge problems. Solomon had problems. And that's why God comes to chapter 36 of Ezekiel. And he says, because you, David, have profaned my heart amongst my people, because you, Abraham, have profaned my heart amongst your people, before, because you, Moses, profaned me in front of people, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And what's he tell us I'm going to do? I'm going to reach in, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, I'm going to put in a heart of flesh, I'm going to put my spirit upon you, I'm going to write my laws upon your heart. And the laws there are, you look at the Ten Commandments, and they're all about loving you where you're at. They're all about taking this, this Hebrew word for love that I have. I have huge conditional love for my kids. I don't always have huge conditional love for the world. <laughs> and that Hebrew word, like we, that's why it's so important that we understand that little word in verse 3 and how it's used. The Holy Spirit turns it on its head and says, uh-uh, 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 if you just do it to those you're close to and not your enemy, you're doing it wrong. And the beauty that I've always loved about Ezekiel 36 is we forget that it's a new covenant promise. Mm. Nobody, no, as, as much favor that God found in all of these, they still needed a heart transplant, mm. right? And remember where that heart is to the Hebrews. It is the center of my reasoning. It is the center of my spirituality. Um, real quick, let me go to it really quick. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Mm. My heart is sinful in front of God. It's not a very good spring. Mm. Right? And, and Ezekiel says, I will take out that heart of stone, I'll put in a heart of flesh. And then we transfer that in the New Testament. Why can I go out and live the fruit of the Spirit? Not my heart anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's transplanted the Holy Spirit in my heart that carries me that way. Yeah, amen, amen, and amen again. I think that's a, something easily forgotten in the struggles of life, especially when we're constantly seeking for that success, that favor, that, that sense of enoughness that we're all sort of craving. Um, I think that's why everything is so hyper right now with what you can say and what you can't say and what you yeah. can think, what you can't think, what you can do, what you can't do, who you can associate with, who you're supposed to go online and like publicly disassociate yourself from. Right? We're all, in a sense, like after this sense of enoughness, self-justification, you could call it. Mm. And what I find in the scriptures is this letter in which God has revealed to me, yeah, I get it, um, but you can never obtain it. And it's pretty exhausting. It's definitely a life of fear, anxiety, division. You guys kind of know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody lives in the real world. And... The way I love to look at that and this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, to be able to experience something different and to walk in something different is realizing first and foremost, as you said, Bill, it's the fruit of the Spirit. That's a really quick one or just pass by when you're reading the Bible. If it's the fruit of the Spirit, that means it's not the fruit of you. It's not the fruit of me. Okay? That's what makes it good and beautiful. 
Because left to myself, I'm not, even, I'm not even on the caliber of an Abraham. And we can see his track record. So my fruit isn't worth anything. So I think it's good to pull back and go, okay, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. It's, you know, John 15, I always try to remind myself, Jesus wasn't kidding in John 15 when he says, you can do nothing. The word actually, nothing, I don't know if you guys know, it's like in the Greek, it just means nothing. Um, and he also isn't kidding in Galatians 5 when he says that what you can do is worth nothing. Because at its core, ultimately, is always going to be your fame and fortune. It's never going to be the fruit of someone else. My older kids are like, well, how do you know when it's the Lord working and not you? I'm like, well, Jesus said something like, oh, your right hand won't know what your left hand's doing. Man. I remember my son in high school, he's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, think about it. When you're walking in something and you realize, like, oh, I just mow my neighbor's grass who I don't even like. That's weird. <laughs> Probably the spirit. That's a lot different than, hey, I just mowed my neighbor's grass. I don't know if you guys saw this. Hey, everybody, real quick, neighborhood meeting. Facebook you know? selfie. <laughs> right? Very different, very different stories. So I think just looking at that and going, oh, this is the fruit of the Spirit. But here's the kicker. What I found a lot of rest in over the years, especially after 20 years of pastoring or 15, whatever it was, and like within church settings, it's really easy to forget that the core of the gospel is God uniting himself to humanity. If you go back to the garden, you have this story of human beings thinking that there is a life of independence that's better, trying to overcome their humanity to get there. And everything from that point on in your Bible is a story of God eventually becoming the thing that we were afraid of, becoming human, so that he could unite himself to us in his death and resurrection. It's almost like he's looking at us and going, you know this thing you're trying to overcome? That's what I made. <laughs> I made you to live with me. You were made by relationship for relationship. So the story of the gospel is a story of a him uniting himself to us. It's not a new religion. Christianity is not the power to live the next chapter of an old religion. Christianity is the end of religion. Jesus buried it and united himself to us and said, there you go, done. You made a, you made a huge statement a little while ago. And when he's talking in 14 and 15, he says, you, you can do nothing. And we're told to emulate him and look at him, right? And what does he tell us in chapter 5 of John? I can do nothing on my own accord. Mm. No, yeah. Christ as a human was totally dependent on his father. Yeah. And I love what he says. I can do truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And there's a reason for that. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And that's what we have in Christ Jesus. We, God, through his Son, through Jesus, where Jesus says, I can do nothing but only what my Father shows me. We can do nothing unless it's the Holy Spirit working through us. Why? Because the Father loves us. New Christ creation, gave right? that Holy Spirit yeah. to us. He said, it's good that I'm going away. Why? Because I'm going to send you the help. It's kind of like what you were mentioning earlier, this new heart, you know, that Ezekiel promises. To be one in Christ, to be so much that we're one in him that we are the same as how he Amen. is one with the Father, tells me like, man, there's a new heart in me because it's not mine. Right? I mean, Romans is pretty plain. If, if, if righteousness was going to be achieved, if rightness could be achieved by, it, by any form of the law in our doing, it had been done 20 minutes after Moses came down from Mount Sinai. Amen. Done. 
The only thing that matters, however, is new creation. Because it's in the new creation that we find the actual righteousness, perfection, if you want to get technical. Um, and it's that new heart, right, that lives right. in us. It's, it's him himself. One of the, probably the best illustration I ever heard was a young guy that I was discipling while pastoring a large church in the city of Chicago. And I have this artist that I'm pouring into, and I'm thinking I'm really here to help this guy. And we're discussing these truths about Jesus, and he draws a circle on a piece of paper, on a napkin, at, at a coffee shop right in front of me. And he goes, everything I keep hearing from you is like, almost like God like fillets Jesus. And I'm like, wait, what? And he, he, on the circle, he cuts off like this little sliver. And he goes like, yeah, like here's faithfulness. Because you said the only faithfulness that matters was Jesus' faithfulness. Our faithfulness really isn't that good. And he draws another sliver on the circle. And he goes, in kindness. Because your kindness, from what I'm understanding, isn't that good. Neither is mine. So the only kindness that would count would be the kindness of a new creation. creation. You know, like the one that we're one in that you're telling me about. And I was, I'm literally looking at this dude, and before long, the conversation goes from me, experienced pastor, sitting there like this, <laughs> complete student, as this 24-year-old dude starts breaking this down for me, and I'm like, wow, that's what I've been saying, but the way he showed it to me was, it's not us here, and Jesus is over here, and he like hands us a little bit of faithfulness when we need it, or he hands us a little bit of kindness, or he hands us this jetpack called the Spirit and says, go get it, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? He's like, no. If you live here in him, then all that would be would be his faithfulness by the Spirit at work through the new creation that you are because you live in Jesus who is the new creation. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, man, where was that at for the first 15 years of laying weight on people for yeah. get it together in the name of Jesus? Uh, I love that. And, 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 and Jesus so would tell Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? <laughs> right. Right? So here's yeah. this Pharisee, right? This brilliant guy in scripture. I mean, Nicodemus, if he said here today, could probably start in Genesis and end in the last prophet of the Old Testament and tell us the whole thing. Mm. And Jesus looks at him and he talks about being born again and born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus keeps asking questions. And finally, our Lord and Savior kind of looks at him very sternly and goes, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't get this? Yeah. Nicodemus should have understood just what we said in, in, in Ezekiel. Mm. You, you, you've got a heart of stone. You need to be reborn. Mm. It's, it's not a fixing, right? I'm not, I, can't give you, I can't fix the valves of your heart. I've got to replace it. Mm. And that replacement is being a totally new creation. If I'm a totally new creation, I have to be born again. I have to be born of the Spirit. Uh, and if I'm born of the Spirit, there's nothing of me in there, right? It's all of Him. He's filled my heart. Makes you wonder why, which really ties into even what you're seeing in Proverbs. You have a crowd that's pushing back on everything that Jesus is saying because they think the Messiah has come to bring behavior camp to the world. Yeah. And just give us a better example and a clearer understanding of the law so we can hopefully get it together this time. Everything Jesus is saying is like, no, you still don't get it. My mission is to die. You need resurrection, not improvement. Right. You're missing this. There's a new creation of me that's literally going to live and dwell in you. The fruit you long to walk in will be of me. It will not be of you. And they're still grappling with, you know, like they're just, they're just grappling with it, man. And it, eventually they're trying to trick Jesus, kind of like Nicodemus mm -hmm. was doing. I never thought about this until sitting here with you when you just said that. And in John 6, when they're pressing back on the will of God, the will of God, the will right. of God, Jesus literally looks at him and goes, you know what the will of God is? That you believe in the one in whom he sent. Amen. 
The will of God is not that you find a better way to toil through life so that maybe he'll love you and move in your life. The will of God is that you would trust me and all that you long to walk in really quick for your joy, right, is a fruit that comes from that. Because it's easy to think that fruit is like somehow something he needs, almost like he's like in this deficit. He's not really complete in who he is. He's really needing me to just be a little bit nicer, you know what I mean, to my neighbor. Mm. It took me a long time to realize that the fruit of kindness for my neighbor was for my joy and for my neighbor's joy. Mm. It was for our harmony. Mm. And I kept turning it into a project as if it was something he needed. Mm. Man, it's such a, he's going, no, what I've invited you to do is trust me Mm. and we'll walk together. And that thing of harmony you're after, I'll work it. I think that's, one reason I, I love the brilliance of a sovereign God is that I'm going to bring my son into an agrarian society, a society very much dependent on agriculture at the very roots, which we're not, right? Most of us live in, how many of you guys actually ever worked on a farm, right? A couple, right? <laughs> we're, we're very much an urban society. And my wife will tell you this. I wanted, I wanted a vineyard, so I planted 100 vines. And I got them growing really well, but the rabbits liked them more than I could get out there. Uh, and you had to tend them, and you had to walk them quite often, and it didn't work really well, right? Because a vineyard needs tending. A vineyard needs fertilization. A vineyard needs trimming. A vineyard needs pruning. And when you look at the analogy that Christ gives us in John, I am in, in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm the vine. I mean, I'm just the fruit. The, the, the man care, taking care of the vineyard is God the Father himself, right? There's no work. I'm doing no work. I exist only because he put me into the vine. Anybody ever grafted? You can make really cool citrus tree. I can put a grapefruit, a mandarin, an orange, and a lemon all on one tree, and they all grow just fine. I got to tend them all. I need help with that. What's that? I need help with that. Yeah. You want one like that? I, I do. I've tried. I'm not good at it. You're That's why I'm like grafting, totally yeah. dialed down on every so, second of every word so remember, you're saying here. Re- remember what uh, Romans tells us and, and Jesus shows us. I, he has grafted me into history. And he said, I've grafted you into the, the, the natural tree, the natural olive tree, right? He's the one tending the orchard. He's the one doing all the work. He's the one keeping the weeds out. He's the one fertilizing. He's the one watering. He's the one trimming off on on fruitful things. I just abide in it. Why? Because he put me in it. Hmm. I can't feed myself. I'm kind of just a branch. All right. So one minute. Closing. Um, Father's Day. We need to-do lists. (laughs) So in everything we just said, how do we apply this? Being the oldest father here, <laughs> our oldest son's 44. Uh, the first thing I would tell, and it took me a long time to learn this, the first thing I would tell every father, take a deep breath and breathe. <laughs> you know, just will, right? Amen. <sighs> right? Somebody, the beauty of the, the gospel we forget is my, it's not just that my sins we're taking care of on the cross and the death and the resurrection of Christ, but the rest of my life has. So breathe. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's not done with you yet, right? Don't feel like I've, that 
I've got to do better. I've got to do better. I've got to do better. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, right? Uh, so my biggest, my biggest advice is I, that I wish somebody would have gave me early on in my fatherhood, Tim, take a deep breath. You're wearing yourself out, right? Um, that would have been really good advice to have. If we're going in order of age, you're next. Yeah, order of age. <laughs> and looks. And looks. Oh, then I should have went first. <laughs> so. Uh, Amen. I'll agree with you. I always score well there and in humility. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> but um, on a serious note, I would say, I, having, I'm definitely not near as experienced as Tim here, but I uh, having a 23 and a 20-year-old and now a just turned four-year-old, I've got the chance to do it over again. And the thing that I wish I would have learned early on in my first two is that, that uh, I think Father's Day, we sometimes celebrate our dads. I celebrate my dad, my grandpa, and my kids. You know, they'll celebrate me. But the thing that hit me this year that has never, I never thought about was just the gift of being a dad is a gift for me. So uh, this morning before I came, um, my little dude's not feeling well. He's at home, so my wife stayed with him. But he wanted to make me breakfast. So he made me some French toast and bacon. And he set the table. It was really cool. He came and sat next to me, and he handed me this card that he drew for me like three days ago. And it said, uh, I love you, Dad. Crystal wrote down what he was saying. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. I love that you make me eggs. <laughs> but here was the thing that was like, really huge to me. He said, uh, because you love me. Mm-hmm. Like, the gift is that we forget that if you're a dad, man, just relish in the gift. You'll, you, will, uh, you will steward a gift far, far better than you're going to steward uh, a project mm-hmm. or a task. Your kids aren't projects to complete. They're people to love. Mm-hmm. So, and so my, my ultimate advice for the application, ditch the gardener complex. They like that. That's what Tim was getting out yeah. there in John 15. I love that. Ditch the gardener complex. Trust the gardener. Amen. And maybe you'll enjoy the gift. Good. I love now in light of what we just talked about, Proverbs 3, 1 through 4, God saying, my son, don't forget my teaching that I've completed this work in you and for you. Let your heart, the heart that I have given you, um, the heart that I have transplanted into you of flesh, keep my commands. For the length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you, right? Fully trusting in him. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. It's his love, his faithfulness being the thing that is um, at the core of who we are. Um, bind, them, bind them around your neck, write it on the tablet of your heart. It is only then when we receive Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, when we believe in him, that we will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Amen. Let's pray. I can do it. Yeah, we thank you for a chance to hit a pause button and just... Take a little rest this morning, Lord, as we just try to think about you. God, I, 
I am grateful for the opportunity to gather, to sing, to celebrate, to say hello and to hug each other and to give and to reflect on these truths. But Lord, most of all, I just pray that you help us be grateful for you. God, I pray for all the dads that are here and all the dads to come. That they might really know what it means to recline in your grace and enjoy the party, Lord, that you brought to us all. God, would that be our story? In Jesus' name, amen.